0: ...for a fright? Can you handle a scare? This is your home for all things horror. (laughs) Welcome to the Deadline Podcast... ...with your host, Jay. Now when I say the word... North Pole. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? You think Santa. You think happy. You think family. North Pole is linked in our culture to Christmas. That's the that's the thing about North Pole. Is we think happy thoughts. We think about, you know, toys for little kids and happiness, friends and family you spend time with during this holiday. But what would you say if I were to tell you that a murder actually happened in the North Pole? How would you feel about Christmas then? How would you feel about the word, North Pole? Well that's what this case is about today. The North Pole Killer. Now after a string of closely spaced murders of young women near Fairbanks in the late 1970s and early 80s, the abductions and murders stopped. Troopers believed that the killer had moved somewhere else, but they had no database to track the predator's movements beyond Alaska. Only the detective's reasoning and the hard work of seasoned investigators traced the monster 4,000 miles to the new home and hunting grounds. The North Pole is where Santa and Miss Claus live and where, where busy elves build toys for good girls and boys around the world. Or. So the legend goes. The city of North Pole, Alaska is 1,700 miles south of geological North Pole, but the townsfolk take full advantage of, the, of it. Many of the streets have holiday names, and stores sell Christmas-themed items year-round. The town's biggest attraction is a large gift shop named Santa Claus House, which boosts the world's largest fiberglass statue of Santa. North Pole sits south of Fairbanks and I mean it stretches a pretty good length. Now, in the late 1970s and early 1980s murder, shatter, murder shattered the innocence of the town Santa Claus calls home. 19-year-old Glenda Sodoman vanished from her home at North Pole on August 29, 1979. Glenda, a newlywed, was the daughter of an Alaska state trooper. Glenda and her husband had a small baby, and according to her husband, when he arrived home the 29th of August, the baby was in the crib, but Glenda had disappeared. By all accounts, Glenda was happy and had no reason uh, she had no reason whatsoever uh, to run away from her home but investigators found no evidence to suggest foul play. The following October, Glinda's uh, decomposed body was found in a gravel pit near Moose Creek on the Richardson Highway, not far from the Air Force Base and 22 miles south of Fairbanks. Glinda had been shot in the face and troopers found a uh, a 30 a 38 caliber pistol cartridge near her body the me- the medical examiner discovered no evidence suggesting glenda had been sexually assaulted suspicion fell on glenda's new husband who failed t- a lie detector test even glenda's father suspected his son-in-law of the crime but troopers found no evidence to arrest arrest the husband Now there was quite a bit of these <clears throat> these cases. Now we're not going to go through every single bit of them, but we're just going to hit home with, you know, particular ones. Now, on June 11th, 1980, 11-year-old Doris Ohering and her older brother were riding bikes together on the roads in North Pole, Doris cycled ahead of her brother, and when her brother caught up with her he saw his sister talking to a strange man in a blue car. The man had propped open the hood of the car and appeared to have to be having engine problems. When Doris's brother pulled alongside Doris, the man quickly shut the hood, jumped in the car, and sped away. The brother was later able to describe the man to a police sketch artist and he told the police he thought the man's blue shirt looked like an Air Force uniform. 2 days after uh, her encounter with uh, with the man in the blue with his encounter with the man in the blue car Doris disappeared and her bicycle was found hidden in the bushes along Badger Road near her home in North Pole. A witness reported seeing a small blue car or car uh, around the corner at the intersection near badger road the driver seemed preoccupied and was wrestling with something or someone in the seat next to him police believe the attacker hid in the bushes on the side of the road and waited for doris to ride her bike past the his hiding spot once she got close he jumped out of the uh, out of the brush grabbed her off her bike and tossed the bike into the nearby ditch. Now, because Doris's brother thought the man had he had seen talking to his sister might be wearing an Air Force uniform, and because the other witness witnesses described the driver of speeding of the speeding car as a military style haircut, state troopers as security at the Air Force base for a, a list of blue cars registered. To, to drive on the base. The Air Force handed the troopers a list of 550 names of people who own registered vehicles, possibly matching the rough description of the car the troopers had provided them. Investigators were desperate to find doors, but with no fingerprints or other forensic evidence, they didn't know where to begin. Now, can you imagine? Now, keep in mind, back in the day, they didn't have all this technology like we have today when it comes to fingerprints or DNA tests and all that kind of shit so like it is today Now since troopers had no clear uh, not cleared Glenda Solomon's husband for Glenda's murder they decided to question him about the abduction of Doris and they gave him another polygraph test and this time the polygraph found that the test results were inconclusive. Incul- 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 c- the evidence pointing to Sonneman, but he could not pass a lie detector test when questioned about the murder of his wife or the abduction of young Doris. Troopers decided to bring in a polygraph expert to question him. After 10 minutes, the expert left the examining room and told troopers that Sonneman had an irregular heartbeat. Such a heartbeat could never produce a passing polygraph test result. The test results from the individual with a heartbeat like Sonneman's would always be classified as inconclusive or failing. Since the troopers had no reason other than his lie detector test results to suspect him, they uh, dismissed him as a suspect in the disappearance of Doris. Marilyn Peters and Wendy Wilson on January 31st, a little over 7 months after someone snatched Doris, 20-year-old Marilyn disappeared. Now Marilyn was last seen trying to ditch a ride from Fairbanks or hitch a ride from Fairbanks to Anchorage to visit her father who was sick with cancer. Now police considered Marilyn's disappearance suspicious, but they had no way to know if someone had abducted Marilyn near Fairbanks or if she had disappeared somewhere else between Fairbanks and Anchorage. Troopers didn't, did not not immediately link her case to Doris or Glenda's. Five months after Marilyn disappeared, 16-year-old Wendy Wilson vanished. Wendy was last seen hitchhiking and a witness saw her climb into a white pickup truck on Moose Creek near Fairbanks. Three days after she disappeared, Wendy Wilson's body was found near Johnson Road, 32 miles south of Fairbanks, near the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. Wendy's killer had strangled her and then destroyed her face with a shotgun blast. Nine weeks after the discovery of Wendy Wilson's body, Marilyn Peters' remains were found. Marilyn also had been dumped near Johnson Road. And she was found only two miles from where Wendy had been dumped. Marilyn also had been strangled and then shot in the face with a shotgun. Lori King. Now, two days after police recovered Marilyn uh, Peter's body, they were notified of the disappearance of 19 year old Lori King. Lori had last been uh, walking in. Fairbanks had been seen walking into Fairbanks. Now, two days after police recovered Maryland, let's see. Now, here's the thing about Maryland. Well, I think, hold on. So I'm trying to, I'm, I'm speculating something right now about this. You would think with Maryland's effort, that one with her. I don't know, it's something about this road. Do you think that they would try to put some kind of sting up or something to watch if someone tried to do it again or put, you know, throw a body or something there? But that's just me. Uh, Let's see. The Fairbanks police and the Alaskan State Troopers now knew they had a serial killer operating in and near North Pole, outside of Fairbanks soon the news media labeled the string of murders the fairbank serial murders police as well as civilian and military volunteers searched for doris and lori king's body near the johnson road area where the remains of wendy wilson and marilyn peters had been discovered but they found no sign of either victim on september the second 1981 four airmen on a hunting trip came across The remains of Lori King in a wooden area near a missile site off of Johnson Road. Earlier searches had somehow missed this area. The killer had done nothing to hide Lori's body. Like Wendy and Marilyn, Lori had been strangled and then shot in the face with a shotgun. Because Lori's body was found on a federal reservation, the FBI joined the case and a task force was formed consisting of FBI agents, Alaskan state troopers, and the Air Force Base uh, Office of Special Investigations, or OSI. The Army's Criminal Investigation Division from nearby Fort Wainwright, the Fairbanks Police Department, and North Pole City Police Department. Investigators now knew they were hunting a dangerous predator, who struck frequently, somehow convincing girls and young women to climb into his car where he soon murdered them and then shot them in the face. Some, but not all, of the women showed signs of being raped before they were murdered. You would think that these other girls would have heard on a news report or bulletins or something around town that There was a psycho on the loose in their town, and to be cautious. But they still rocking around like nothing's going on. I don't understand that. Now, to better understand how to organize an investigation of this magnitude, uh, uh, Alaska State Trooper Investigator Sam Bernard flew to Alaska, or Atlanta, I'm sorry, Atlanta, Georgia where a joint federal and state task force was searching for the serial killer who was murdering young black men in Atlanta. Now, Bernard watched and learned how the Atlanta task force used computer technology to manage and organize the leads in case in the case. Next, Bernard flew to a uh, science division in Virginia and met with experts there to form a profile of the serial killer operating near Fairbanks. At the time when Bernard consulted with the FBI Behavioral Science Division boosted an 85% success rate for creating accurate profiles of unknown unknown serial killers. The psychologists in the unit must have seemed like wizards, but humans are not machines, and law enforcement agencies soon learned that while FBI profiles could be be a useful tool, they were only uh, one of many tools that should be relied upon completely. The profilers told Bernard that the Fairbanks serial killer was probably single and lived alone. Now they said that they believed the Predator had a hard time holding a job and even though Doris, Doris's brother, stated that he thought the man he had seen Doris talking to wore an Air Force uniform. Experts said that they believed the murderer was a civilian. <clears throat> and even then, though, I'm pretty damn sure it's easy to get military uniforms, anyways. At least the it is this, these days. <clears throat> now Bernard returned to Fairbanks with unknown killer's profile, and task force members believed they now had something solid for the foundation of their investigation. Why did the murderer shoot, you know, the women in the face after he had already strangled them? Psychologists suggested perhaps the killer was repeatedly murdering someone from the past and then shooting them in the face to wipe out their identities. This analysis, whether accurate or not, made no easier for made it no easier for investigators to find the elusive killer. Trooper uh, Jim McCain, a trooper Chris uh, Stockard, undertook the massive task of organizing and entering two and a half, uh, two and one half years, I don't know why they just say two and a half <coughs> uh, years worth of information tips and physical evidence into state computers. Then Stockard, uh, who had computer training, developed a program to cross-reference the items in the database prioritizing uh, valuable, valu- ugh, valuable leads and suspects. Now an investigator on the task force from the uh, Office of Special Investigators reported he had identified three individuals on the base who acted inappropriately towards women. One of the three men he identified was Technical Sergeant Thomas Richard Bundy, a, three- a 33-year-old electrical expert co said Bundy, uh, now this is not related to Ted Bundy, <clears throat> but anyway, moving on. Re- uh, repeatedly, repeatedly, sorry, I can't talk for crap today. Uh, repeatedly showed disrespect towards women, and one woman who worked with Bundy said that he was verbally abusive, and she was afraid of him. And memory said they said in the investigation that there was three now they narr- narrowed it down now this one in particular this is the the actual killer <clears throat> so that means that little boy was actually right about seeing you know an air force uniform <clears throat> now the task force didn't dismiss bundy as the possible suspect but he was not high or on their list because he did, he did not fit the FBI profile in several ways. The profilers believed the murderer would pr- the murderer would prove uh, to be a civilian who was single, lived alone, and could not hold a job, but was mar- Bundy was married, had children, and was enlisted in the military, maintaining a good job as an electrician. The task force had identified several suspects who fit the profile better than Bundy did. So, they considered Bundy as a possible but unlikely suspect. (coughs) Now, after Lori King was murdered on May 16, 1981, the abductions and murders stopped one and a half years later. In November 1982, the task force concluded the murderer was either dead, imprisoned, in the hospital, or had been moved had moved somewhere else the task force decided they needed to look at military personnel who had transferred outside the state in the last in the past 18 months now they began uh, scurrying the records of recent transfers from the AFB and they also contacted police agencies near other US Air Force bases around the world and asked them to be on the base to be on the lookout for an to report any murder similar to the ones near Fairbanks, which were basically strangling the women, shooting them in the face, which just fucked up. You know, <clears throat> what? like he, like they were saying, like they didn't know why he would strangle and kill them and then turn around and shoot them in the face. Maybe he was reenacting one of his first ones. I don't know. It's still... I don't know. It's, it is what it is. But anyways... Um, the task force noted Bundy's uh, resemblance to the drawing made from Doris's brother, description of the man he had seen talking to his sister, um, immediately identified a photo of Bundy in a lineup, and he had no trouble picking out a photo of Bundy's car at as the vehicle whose, dri- whose driver he had seen talking to his sister two days before the abduction. <coughs> Now, troopers interviewed Bundy's Bundy's Alaska neighbors and coworkers, and most painted an unflattering picture of Bundy. They described him as unlikable. Bundy had a variety of shotguns and pistols registered to his name. In January 1983, trooper San Barnard flew to Shepard Air Force Base and interviewed Richard Bundy. While Bundy agreed to answer Bernard's questions, he refused to take a lie detector test, allow allow a search of his home, or give samples of his hair. When Bernard told Bundy that Doris's brother had identified a photo of Bundy as a man he had seen talking to his sister, Bundy didn't respond, and that's probably because he knew it was over. You know, it was might as well come clean at that fucking point. Now, Bernard returned to Fairbanks and said he didn't believe they had a solid evidence against Bundy, and since Bundy didn't fit the FBI profile, he felt they should investigate other suspects. Most of the task force, though, felt Bundy was their man, and they believed it was time to take a closer look at him. Interviews with Bundy on... March 7, 1983, McCain and Stockard flew to Texas, where they met with Texas State and Federal Police, as well as the Air Force Office and Special Investigations. The OSI agreed to place a loose surveillance on Bundy. McCain and Stockard rented two rooms at a local motel for the headquarters and then asked Bundy to stop by so they could talk to him. Bundy willingly talked to McCain and Stocked, and Stocked, and seemed to like the the two troopers. The troopers noted Bundy provided only vague responses to their questions, but he never denied killing the woman, the women near North Pole. At one point, Bundy made the strange comment, "I had trouble with the girls in Alaska." McCain and Stockard invited Bundy to return to the fo- the following day so that they could continue. Their investigation and Bundy agreed. This time, this time, the troopers punched harder. They told Bundy that they knew he killed the women in Alaska and they knew how and when he killed them, but they didn't understand why he had killed them. They told him they also knew he had killed a woman in Texas. They knew he was guilty, and they told him he would either spend the rest of his life in Alaska prison or a cell in Texas, where he was likely to face the death penalty. Bundy said little, but by the end of the four hour interview, he began to cry. All right. Now, McCain and Stockard felt helpless. They had no authority to arrest someone in Texas, and the Texas police needed a warrant to arrest someone for crimes committed in Alaska. Bundy told the troopers he would voluntarily return to Alaska with them, but they dared not to escort him to Alaska until they had a proper paperwork. Without a warrant for his arrest, they could not restrain Bundy, which is so fucked up. If he suddenly changed his mind during a a stopover in Seattle, they would have no authority to stop him, and they might never be able to find him again. Bundy promised McCain and Stockard he would return to their motel room the following morning once they had proper warrants. This is where it's going to get fun, I bet. <clears throat> now the following day the troopers had arrest warrants in hand but Bundy failed to show up at the agreed upon time for the me- for their meeting the troopers called Bundy's house and his wife said Richard was riding his motorcycle but she expected him to meet her at 1 o'clock that afternoon at the local H&R Block office to work on their tax return can you believe H&R Block has been around that fucking long god damn Now, the OSI surveillance team waited for Bundy outside the H&R Block office, but when Bundy and his wife left the office, the OSI team mistakenly followed her car instead of pursuing Bundy on his motorcycle. McCain, the fucking stupid ass. Damn, I'm sorry, I had to stop right there. Why would you follow the wife? Do you really think the damn wife was on the motorcycle? not saying women don't ride motorcycles. Hell, I ride a motorcycle, but goddamn... If you can't, oh my god, fucking idiots. I'm sorry, man. It's just, that just, that just, I don't know. I'm lost for words. I'm just mind blown. You followed the damn car, thinking Bundy was in there. Do you think really his wife was on the damn motorcycle? Come on, man. You can look at the damn person on the bike. Yeah, he might have had a helmet on, but I doubt the dude had titties. Fuck. anyways, now I lost where I was at. Now, McCain and Stalker waited impatiently either for Bundy to arrive at their hotel room or for local police to call and say they had Bundy in custody. As they waited, dark clouds rolled over, uh, rolled over, and the skies burst with a heavy downpour. Now, he sped out... of. on his motorcycle, but when it began to rain, he turned around and started back towards town. He stopped under an overpass, pulled McCain's and Stockard's business cards from his wallet, and placed them carefully on the rock. He then continued on his way, driving a carelessly fast rate of speed in the pouring rain. When he uh, swerved in front of a large dump truck coming towards him in the other lane, the driver of the truck tried to avoid the collision but turning uh, turning away from Bundy but Bundy per, uh, pursued the truck and crashed into it just behind the cab. He died instantly and the search for the North Pole serial murder came to a, dra- a dramatic end. Now Forensic evidence found at the Bundy home indicated some of his hairs collected from Bundy's tru- truck belonged to Wendy Wilson, and the shotgun shells found in his home were manufactured in the same bunch as the shells used to a, blibler, a, blibler, a blibler. I'm so sorry. I cannot... I can't talk for crap today. A blibler... A blibler, 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 blibler. Anyway, just fucked up the face, man. I'm just going to say that. I'm sorry. I just can't talk for crap today. I don't know what my deal is. Uh, The faces of of the girls. In 1986, three years after Bundy's death, and a few months after Doris uh, O-Ring should have graduated from high school, Doris's skull was found in a remote section of the Air Force Base. Now... How did he get onto the Air Force Base with fucking body in the first place? Or the skull at that? I mean, you have to go through clearance to get in the gate. Not, You can't just fucking roll up there and get into the Air Force Base. It just don't make sense. Now, I do want to say thank you to uh, for the story. Uh, you can find a link to the actual story from medium.com down in the description. Again, I am so sorry for the way... I spoke today I don't know what the deal was I just I don't know I was lost for words I couldn't pronounce words for shit today um, I don't know It was just fuck I don't know I don't know if it's because I just didn't get enough sleep guys I apologize for that it's not like me I usually am NOT like that at all uh, and hell I'd read this story ten thousand times so I'd be prepared but it is what it is uh, what was I gonna say though? Now this next month in December, um, <clears throat> we're gonna cover. Since we're coming into the Christmas season, uh, we're going to cover. How about some holiday massacres, ho- holiday murders? So I think that's what we're gonna probably do starting in December. Uh, I don't think I actually do I have a calendar. Yes. So... Alright, so... Yeah, so the first one would probably be December the 7th, and we'll go all the way through to that 28th. Yeah. So anyways, so again, I apologize the way I talked today. I just could not pronounce words or talk, period. So... I apologize for that. Next week, I'll be way better. I think I'm just tired today. It's been a long week. Anyways, make sure you come back next Monday. New case. Um, Damn, I don't even remember what the case was about for next week. I'm just out of it today. Anyways, yeah. Uh, Thank you for listening, for what parts you could understand without me going blah, 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 blah. But anyway uh join me next monday same time same place as always guys thank you check out all my media or medium. check out all my uh see i just lost words (laughs) anyway check uh check me out you can check out all my links down in the description i'm always on twitter again thank you see you next week peace i'm out